you came on the very first of those conversations. So I'm glad that you're here. It'd be easy for you to kind of drop into the conversation. This conversation, normally our conversations last five or six weeks, right? That's normally how long they last. We have five or six week series. This conversation we're starting today is going to last for 90 days, right? We're going to take this conversation clear to Easter, right? We just got done with Christmas. Now we're looking forward to Easter. And so I'm really, really looking forward. It's going to be a really long conversation. So let me tell you a couple of things about this. First, today is just the introduction. So, so today you're going to leave me like, he's not done. And you're right, I'm not done, right? It's a 90-day conversation. Second, every conversation we have, we provide these little take-home companions right here. So we have them in the back. We have some downstairs. I would encourage you to grab one of these today. Take it with you. Here's what I'm going to do, and I encourage you to do this with me. But we have made these. They're like journals this time. So there's lots of space for you to write. And so what we're encouraging you to do for the next 90 days, beginning tomorrow, it's 90 days until Easter, to begin to write as we take this journey together, thoughts, things that you learn, reflections, prayer, things like that. So I encourage you to take one and kind of track. Second, I would say this, if you're not in a group, I would encourage you, this would be a great time to jump in one. If you're not sure how to get in a group, we can help you get in a group. You're like, why should I be in a group? Because I just think we're better together. And some of you are like, I ain't getting in a group, no way, no how. And that's okay if that's not where you're at right now. I would encourage you if you're here for the conversation and you're like, a group is not what I'm going to do. I'd encourage you to get with somebody and have dialogue about the conversation that we're having in this room. It's just a way for you to kind of percolate, ruminate about some of the things that we're talking about in here. Because we just ended a year and we're starting a brand new year. But I don't know if you know this or not. It's not just the end of a year and the start of a new year. We ended a decade and we're starting a new decade. Turn to your neighbor and say, happy new decade. Turn to your neighbor and do that real quick. Yeah. It's a brand new decade. And so what's interesting about a new decade, I don't know if you think like this or not, but I think this way. When I begin thinking about stuff like that, I begin thinking about, I wonder what happened in this last decade that maybe I wasn't aware of, or maybe I take for granted. And there have been a lot of things that have changed over the last 10 years. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. In fact, I kind of did a little research and uh, just to remind you of what's changed over the last 10 years, 10 years ago, you couldn't ask Alexa to play your favorite song. What in the world did we do, right? And you could not ask Siri to answer your hardest question. That all happened within the last decade. In the last 10 years, we've been introduced to new technology. Are you aware of what it was? The iPad, the last 10 years. Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, last 10 years. Talk about something that's changed life, right? AirPods, Fitbits, smartphones, as opposed to dumb ones, right? Drones over the last 10 years are not just a military device, but now a drone might drop a package off at your front door, right? And it might be on your kid's Christmas wish list, right? Uber or Lyft might pick you up instead of a taxi. Hoverboards and self-driving cars are now a reality. Anybody see these on the commercials, right? Self-driving cars. They're interesting. Two of you. That's great. But you ought to watch TV more, right? But, but, but it's in, I'm watching these things, like these commercials, and the guy kind of parallel parks, and the car does it by itself. Like, where was that when my dad was teaching me to parallel park, right? It would have been so much easier. 
In the last 10 years, we saw some things happen that, that have changed our life. Starbucks introduced pumpkin spice latte. Can I get an amen on that, right? Yeah, Aldi started delivering your groceries, right? This last decade, we saw some things in the sports world. In the last decade, the Cubs finally won a World Series, right? In the last decade, LeBron started as a Cav, left the Cavs, came back to the Cavs, gone again, left in the last 10 years. Tom Brady added three Super Bowl rings to his six rings, right? Three. Brown's still got none, right? <laughs> I did, I'm not picking, but in the last 10 years, Brown's had 18 different quarterbacks, right? That's incredible. Last 10 years, last 10, this wasn't true before uh, 10 years ago, we started binge watching on Netflix. Became, how many have ever binged watched something on Netflix, right? It's a no shame zone. It's okay to confess, right? Right? Uh, in the last 10 years, we've lost some people, right? Some celebrities, some high-profile people. You might read Robin Williams, last 10 years, President Bush, Billy Graham. We lost some people, and we go on and on and on, right? The last 10 years have brought lots of changes here. Uh, some of you might remember this, some of you might, but in the last 10 years, we as a church have had a church fire. How many were here when the church caught on, when the building caught on fire? Raise your hand nice and nice. If you're here in the staff looking around, it's fascinating, right? A lot of you weren't, right? Well, that was a huge change. So this room literally started, there a fire started right back here. It gutted the entire room. We had to meet downstairs in the gym. We did five back-to-back-to-back-to-back services. We had an interesting time for two years, but a lot of things changed. 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we had two campuses of Grace Church. 10 years later, we have eight campuses. A lot of things have changed over 10. People are like, can we golf clap, right? Like, ooh, it's okay to clap, right? I personally have had some changes, as have you. Uh, 10 years ago, I was just thinking about this. Uh, My kids, I have three kids. 10 years ago, my kids were 16, 13, and 11. Yeah, now they are 26, 23 and 21. Interesting, right? Uh, I have one that's married. 10 years ago, all three of my kids, their pappy was alive. 10 years later, their pappy, their granddad is dead. And now 10 years later, I now am a pappy. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, we clap for that. Go ahead, right? 10 years ago, I was 43 years old. What do you, that wasn't funny. That was just factual, right? 10 10 years ago, I was 43. Today, I'm 50. It makes me think how much changes over 10 years. You ever think about this? How slow a week can go and how incredibly fast 10 years can go? You ever think about that? Like sometimes you can have a week and like this week keeps dragging on and you blink your eyes and 10 years have passed. I don't know about you, but it makes me think, because we ended a decade, it makes me think, I wonder what's coming because we'll stand here 10 years from today. Think about this for a minute. We will stand here 10 years from today. And by the way, just so you know, 10 years from today, I won't be 53 anymore. (laughs) That's not funny either. It's just factual, right? I will be 63 10 years from today. But, but I don't just think about myself. I have an incredible staff. I think about, don't, I love him, right? <laughs> and, and he's cute, amen? I mean, he is cute. He's 29, but 10 years from today, that brother's gonna be 39. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> oh, man. That messed you up. Well, <laughs> I told him this morning, I said, I hope you keep your hair, brother. It's not looking good, right? What's the point? Lots changed over 10 years. Lots going to change. Listen, everybody, look here a second. I got to make a point this morning. It's not a matter if change is going to happen. It's a matter of when change happens, what kind of change is going to happen. That's why for the next 90 days, here's what I want to do. Next 90 days, I want to talk to you about change. I want you to lean in as I talk to you about change. And here's what I already know. Let's get it out of the way. I already know because I told you I'm going to take a 90-day journey talking to you about change. For some of you in the room, you had a visceral reaction. You know why you did? Because you hate change. And you let everybody know it. I hate it when they change this. Sometimes you let me know it, but I hate it when they do this or that. You hate change. And so you're like, oh, no, we're going to talk about change. You're going to be all right. Take a deep breath. We're going to talk about change. Some of you love change, right? Some of you love change, but you love change not in yourself. Guess what? You love change in other people, right? If they would just change, right, my life would be better. And you don't mind telling them, I wish you would change. At the new year, we like to talk about change, right? It seems like a good time for us to think about change. Some of you are here this morning, you know why? Because you want to change. You're like, I want to change this year, so I think I'm going to try a new routine. Some of you are thinking of ways in which you want to change. I want some changes in my life relationally. Some of you think financially, I need to make some changes. Some of you, it's physically. And then some of you, you've been doing this thing so long, guess what? You've given up on the whole idea of change. You've given up on the whole idea of change because you've tried so long. Maybe you're exhausted trying to change. And so you have adopted the mantra, some things never what? Change, right? You see, wherever you're at, I want to talk to you about change because it's not whether or not things will change. It's when they do, how in the world can they change in a way, in a way that somehow is going to produce something in my life that 10 years from today, I can look back and say, I'm glad that change happened. You see, you are changing. You will change. Change is a reality. So for the next 90 days, as we talk about this, we begin to think, I wonder as we stand here 10 years from today, what kind of changes will begin to happen in our life? And namely, I want to lean into Jesus because if change is a reality and if Jesus has something to say about change, I want to lean in and listen to what Jesus has to say about change. Everybody listen. And this is so important because some of you in the room would call yourself a Christian. Don't raise your hand. Some of you would say, I'm a Christian. You know who you are. Some of you say, yep, that's me. I'm a Christian. And for some of us in the room, we say, I'm a Christian. Now stay with me because you know what I'm getting ready to say is true. Nobody likes to talk about it. For those of you who say, I'm not a Christian, I'm going to just admit something. We, those of us who are Christians, a lot of us have this weird relationship with change. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. I'd be happy to. For a lot of us who would say we are Christians, our relationship with change, some of us can be summed up in this word, grit. Change is all about gritting it out. Where it's like, I'm going to change. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to, oh, I'm gonna, I listened to that sermon and I'm going to go do it. And we're, change is all about gritting it out. And some of us, we're exhausted. Some of us are exhausted. We don't want anybody to know it, but we're exhausted trying to change. Others of us, we call ourselves Christians. And you know what our relationship with change is like? It's not grit, it's guilt. It's guilt. When we think of change, our relationship with change is all wrapped around guilt because we have tried to change and we can never seem to measure up. 
And we hear the sermon and mom and dad preach us this and we feel this guilt and we can't measure up. And so what happens with a lot of us in the room, maybe even now, we would call ourselves Christians and we're trying to change and we're exhausted gritting out change or we feel so guilty with change that what happens with a lot of Christians, don't look around, what happens with a lot of Christians is because they've gritted it out, trying to change because they feel guilty, I better change. They become grumpy, don't look at them. But a lot of Christians are grumpy and judgmental and you know what I'm saying is true. And it's the very thing for some of you, because not everybody in the room is a Christian. Some of you are like, not me, I just came checking things out. <laughs> and it's the very reason, everything I just described is the very reason you don't want to become a Christian. Is because the Christians that maybe you've been exposed to, they're exhausted, just do more, do more, do more, do more. They're always, always down in the dumps with guilt and the Christians that you've been exposed to, they become judgmental and grumpy. You're like, why would I want any of that? Or maybe, even worse yet, maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're like, I'm tired of trying to grit it out. I'm tired of feeling guilty. And so what you've done is given up on change. And you're like, isn't this whole thing about grace anyways? And so what you're saying is, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, and so it really doesn't matter if I change, I'm okay. It's all about grace. And so you play the grace card, and that is the very thing that causes some of you in the room who aren't Christians to not want to become a Christian is because you look at people who call themselves a Christian, everybody lean in, and you're like, their life's no different than mine. The rhythm of their life's no different than mine. The things they value is no different than mine. They stress out about the same things I do. They talk about their neighbor the same way I do. You see, what's at the core, what's at the crux of this weird relationship we have with change? Because we have to talk about change. And I think what's at the crux of this weird relationship we have with change, everybody listen to what I want to say right now because I think whether you agree with me or not, and it's okay if you don't, I think that what I'm getting ready to say is absolutely vital and, and quite frankly, I think that people hesitate saying it in church for fear that they'll be misunderstood. And I am afraid of that this morning. So I need your attention for the next two or three minutes. I think what is at the crux of this weird relationship that a lot of Christians have with change is a misunderstanding of the primary message of Jesus. I think what's at the crux of this weird dynamic that a lot of Christians have, the reason they guilt or, or grit it out or become grumpy, is this, this weird misunderstanding of the primary message of Jesus. It's either incomplete or it's inaccurate. You're saying, Dan, help me understand. I'd be happy to. A lot of Christians, I talk to a lot of people in my office, 26 years I've done this, and they would say, the main message of Jesus, what is it? Put it in a nutshell. Here it is. Ask, Jesus is saying, ask me into your heart and become a Christian so that you can have eternal life. Sounds good, right? So I can see it in your eyes. You're like, isn't that it? Like, just ask me into your heart. Then you're a Christian. Then you can have eternal life. In fact, some of us, 
we became a Christian because somebody scared the hell out of us, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. They scared the liver out of us. I had this happen to me. You're going to burn in hell forever and ever. Like, unless you say this prayer. I'm like, I'm saying the prayer. I don't even know what you're saying, but I'm saying the prayer. Amen? Right? And some of you have been there, done that, right? And then what happens is you say this prayer, and then all of a sudden they begin to tell you, now, if you're really a Christian, you'll change. So you spend the rest of your life trying to prove, I'm really a Christian. You try to prove to everybody, I was sincere. So you grit it out. You feel guilty. You become grumpy. You see, at the core of our weird relationship with change is this misunderstanding because the main message of Jesus was not, ask me into your heart, become a Christian, and then wait for me to take you to heaven. But there's something that is vital for us to understand, for us to understand change the way Jesus invites us to change. The main call of Jesus, you don't need to turn there, but let me show you a couple passages and then I want to take you somewhere. It begins with the earthly ministry of Jesus, Matthew 4, verse 18. Jesus walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. And threw nets into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, say these words out loud with me, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little later, Matthew 9, Jesus was walking along again. Did a lot of walking, by the way. Saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him this, say it out loud with me, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus, in his main message, was not simply ask me into your heart. By the way, you won't find that in the Bible, that it's not, it's not like it's bad phraseology. You just won't find it. Like I had a person in my office this last week says, what does that mean? It, it's, it's a Christian way of putting something, right? But that wasn't his main message. His main message was come, follow me, and be my disciple. That there is, what if there is a distinction between a crowd of people who maybe would even say they're Christian and those who are really disciples. In fact, one of the New Testament authors, his name was Mark, actually distinguishes this for us. It says, then Jesus called the crowd. Jesus always seemed to have a crowd. He drew a crowd. Go figure, he was an incredible teacher. Go figure, he healed people. If you got around Jesus, he might even feed you. And so he had these people who were intrigued by him, who, whose interest he had piqued. And he called the crowd to him along with his what? Disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be what? My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I think what Jesus is saying is this, is these crowds, stay with me on this. Stay with me. These crowds still exist that there is a distinct difference between simply being part of a Christian, see what I'm doing with my fingers up here, Christian crowd, and truly being his disciple. Let's be honest, let's just be honest. This whole idea of Christian is confusing anyways. Can we just say that? 
Like, like, like when we use the terminology today, can we just say that it's confusing? Let's just admit it. I have people come to and this is what they'll say, Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. I never know what they mean. Just so you know, if you say that to me, I'll be like, this will be my follow-up. I do it every time. I'll say this, Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, help me understand what you mean by that. And here's some of the answers that I've gotten. Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. Help me understand what do you mean by that. I go to church. I'm like, that's awesome. Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. Help me understand what you mean by that. I believe in God. Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. What do you mean by that? I'm a really good person and I try my best to follow the Ten Commandments. Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. I said to this person, help me understand what you mean by that. And they told me what political party they belonged to and what platform they adhere to. And I'm like, we're missing something along the way, right? Pastor Dan, I'm a Christian. What do you mean by that? Well, I had one person sit on my couch and say, well, I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu, and I'm not Buddhist, I'm a Christian. It's kind of association by elimination, right? You see, here's what's interesting about the word Christian, and and I'm not here to, but this word, it's very, very confusing. In fact, can I tell you how confusing it is? It's so confusing that 76, write that down somewhere, 76% of the people in our country would say they're a Christian. 76%. And yet the word Christian, everybody look here, is used one, two, three times in the New Testament. Three times. And when it's used, it's used by a secular society talking not always in glowing terms about people who attach their life to Jesus. The term Jesus preferred was the term disciple. It's used somewhere around 260 times in the New Testament. And it was the term he preferred to refer to people who attached their life to him. That disciple, we don't go around using that term, but it literally, if we translate it, brought it over into our vocabulary. A disciple was simply an apprentice. Here's what a disciple did. A disciple, please hear what I'm gonna say, make sense the rest of what I wanna say today. A disciple would attach their life to a rabbi, to a leader. So a rabbi would have come in and they would have, first thing they would have done, would have attached their life. That one of their sayings was this, I want my life to be so attached to my rabbi that the dust of my rabbi covers me. That's how attached I want to be. And then the second thing that was true about a disciple was, I'm so attached, his dust covers me, that I'm going to become like him and then I'm going to do what my rabbi does. Jesus' primary call, Jesus' primary message is, come, follow me, be my disciple. Jesus certainly is the Savior who saves us from our sins. Amen? He is. Jesus certainly is a king who came, Christmas, we just celebrated, and he's coming back. But Jesus is not simply Savior, saves me, ask him into my heart, everything's good, wait until I die. Woo, now I can feel good about dying because I'm good. He's he's way more than that. That when you read the New Testament, he is a rabbi, a leader who is calling people to attach their life to him, to become like him in order to do what he does. 
and therein lies the secret to change. Because some of us, our relationship with change, listen close to what I'm saying, I'm gonna gonna take you somewhere in John 15, is this. We pray this prayer, and then we go to church once in a while, we hear a preacher preach at us, and we go try to do what the preacher says. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. You've missed something. And he wants to teach us what it is that we've missed. Because some of you, look here, are exhausted trying to change. Some of you are carrying a load of guilt because you can't seem to change. Some of you have become grumpy and no one wants to be a Christ follower like you. And some of you have given up on change. And Jesus has an invitation to change and it's found in John 15. In John 15, you become dropped into a story The book of John is one of the stories about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all sound about the same. John is the most unique. When you get to John, let me teach you this. John 13, chapter 13 to John 17, is Jesus having this final conversation with his disciples before they're going to kill him, before they're going to crucify Jesus. In John 13, he washes his disciples' feet, all of their feet, Judas included. That's fascinating. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. Like you cannot get a relationship with God apart from Jesus. It's not like all roads lead to heaven. We've talked about that. It's like Jesus said, I'm the only way. At the end of John 14, it says they left that upper room they were in. And they're walking. Many commentators say as they're walking on their way to the garden where Jesus is gonna pray his final agonizing prayer that quite possibly they came across the vineyard. And it's at that vineyard, can you picture this? Read your Bible in color. Jesus, can you picture him leaning against a wall, stopping with the disciples and saying this in John 15? Guys, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. He's like, you are the branches. He's defining their relationship. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, I and you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself that there's our word, to be my what? Disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's make sense of this and then we'll go home, come back for conversation next week. Jesus in the book of John, the whole book is structured around seven or eight 
I am statements of Jesus. Jesus, seven or eight, I say there's eight, some people say there's seven, seven or eight times, he says, I am, and then he explains what he says. So he says, I am the bread of life, and then he explains it. I am the light of the world, then he explains it. I am the good shepherd, then he explains, well, here's what I mean by that picture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. When you get to John 15, he says, I am the true vine. And then he says this, and you are the branches. What is he doing? Two things he's doing. First and foremost, he's saying, I am the true vine as opposed to false vines. Remember that. I am the true vine as opposed to other false vines that you might attach your life to. And the primary way a disciple of Jesus relates with him is seen in this picture. Disciples are branches that are connected to the vine and because they're connected to the vine, that is what produces change. One of the major distinctions between somebody, listen close and I'm gonna show you what I mean. One of the major distinctions between somebody who's simply in the crowd, let's call it Christian crowd, and a disciple is how change happens. That's why this conversation is important. By the way, 76% of our country would say that they are Christian. Independent surveys I was reading say that about 7 8% of our country actually would be disciples who are following Jesus. It's interesting. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that one of the major, major distinctions between somebody who's just in the Christian crowd and a disciple is the way change happens. What is that change? Look back at John 15, verse two. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no what? Say the word out loud, no what? Fruit. Well, every branch that does bear what? Say it out loud. Fruit. He prunes. Why? So that it will be even more what? Say it out loud. Fruitful. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus says this, you show yourself to be my follower attached to me by the fruit that you produce. The fruit of my life is what genuinely shows that I'm connected to the vine that is Jesus. The branch produces fruit because it is connected to the source of life. I wanna teach you something right now. You need, some of you grew up in church, you need to hear what I'm gonna say. I do not, listen close, I do not produce fruit in order to connect to Jesus. I produce fruit because I'm connected to Jesus. Big distinction. I don't produce fruit in order to somehow connect to Jesus. It's fundamentally important to understand this. I'm looking in some of your eyes, and the reason it's fundamentally important is because some of you have been trying all your life to change. And you would say, I'm a Christian, and you're exhausted. You're so beaten down with the guilt, and you're not sure how you can keep on this journey of trying to change. It's because fundamentally, somewhere along the way, you've misunderstood the message of Jesus. You see, here's how I would say, many of us in this room, many of us in this room 
who would call ourselves Christians, here's the way we approach change. We approach change more like decorating a tree versus growing fruit. That's how we approach change. For a lot of us in this room, we would say that we're a Christian and our entire life, stay with me, is about decorating our life is about somehow decorating our life with morality and goodness so that people can see the change in our life. This is so important. Jesus says this, that for a disciple, it's about producing fruit. Many Christians, look at this, this is the branch, this is the vine. Many Christians focus all of their attention on that end of the branch. Jesus says the secret to changing is to focus your attention on this end of the branch. And what happens when you do, you produce fruit. That's what he's saying. Many, maybe even in this room, our whole Christian experience has been this mechanical experience of trying to change, of trying to prove that we're a Christian, of trying to do better. And we're exhausted. And what Jesus is saying is, no, change is something that's produced like fruit. Why in the world, think about it, why would we decorate as Christians? Why would we decorate our life? Why would we do that? Do you ever think about it? I can think of a lot of reasons. Why do people decorate their life? I want you to, to see my life and wow, they're really a good Christian. Well, there's two, I mean, there's more than this, but there's two reasons. First is this, pride, pride. I want everybody to look at me and be impressed with what an incredible Christian I am, what a, how incredibly good I am, how incredibly generous I am. I want my family to be impressed. I want God to be impressed. Heck, I want to be impressed at how incredibly good I'm doing. There's a second fundamental reason. You know what that is? It's fear, Many of us spend our entire Christian existence decorating our life, trying to be better because we're afraid if somehow we don't decorate our life, God is not going to be impressed with us. God's not going to accept us. Here's the problem with decorating your life with morality and goodness, whether it be guilt or grit. Here's the problem. It doesn't last. It's seasonal. You know this by experience. You know how you know this? How many of you, raise your hand, this is class participation, have already taken all your Christmas decorations down? Raise your hand. Nice and high so I can see who doesn't have their hand up. No, I'm kidding. No shame. But if you still have them up in February, we got counseling for that, all right? I'm just saying, all right? But here's the deal. You know this. If you start the Christmas season with this incredible, this beautiful live Christmas tree, you put it in the little pan, you pour water in it, all that kind of stuff, and then you decorate the daylights out of it, right? What happens is through Christmas, you're hoping everything's good. But if you leave that up mid-January, what's that thing begin to do? It begins to what? Needles start to fall. Branches start to get brittle. And all of a sudden, that once tree that looks so incredible becomes brittle and prickly and bare and it all of a sudden begins to bend under the weight of trying to hold up all those doggone decorations you put on it and that's what describes some of our Christian experience 
We feel exhausted by the weight of just trying to keep up and we feel exhausted by the weight of do more. And Jesus says this. Jesus says the only way to produce fruit is to be connected to him. The secret of changing and changing in a way that lasts is to focus on the other end of the branch. That's what he says. And when you do, you'll produce fruit. What's the fruit? Well, let me show you a couple of verses real quick. I want to show you this. Galatians 5, some of the New Testament authors pick up on this, and they said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Question, this is an all-play moment. Anybody think it'd be good to have a little more of that in your life? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Don't look at your husband. I'm just saying for you. Anybody, right? Yeah, we all could use that, right? Here's the deal. Isn't it interesting that he says this, it is the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say these are the acts of the Christian life. It's going to change the way some of you hear sermon, right? Because what we do is we hear a sermon about these things like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to do more loving stuff and be more kind. I'm going to go do, 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 do. And he's like, nah, these things are fruit that is produced. And what's he saying? He's saying that when I'm attached to the vine, all of a sudden my character begins to resemble the character of Jesus, the one I'm attached to. Colossians says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He's saying even my my good works aren't things, I'm going to go do that because the bold preacher made me feel guilty today and I'm going to work harder and try harder. He said, no, it's a fruit that's produced as a result of being connected to the vine. What's the point? Two things and then we'll be done. I would write this down somewhere. The fruit of change, the way Jesus taught it, is the life of Jesus produced in my life. That's what the fruit is. So when Jesus says you'll produce fruit, what he's saying is, I don't want you to decorate your life, but I want you to produce fruit, and the fruit of change is the life of Jesus begins to be produced in your life. Think about it this way, guys. I want this to make sense to you. Think about it this way. You know what the difference between decorations and fruit is? Decorations are selfish. Why do you decorate your tree? So that people what? Look at it and come on. Look at it and go, wow, that's incredible. Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what. And you hope your tree is a lot nicer than what? Your neighbor's tree. Come on, don't judge me, right? You're with me on this. That's why we do it, right? It's like, wow, look at the sparkly lights, the twinkles, all that. Wow, and when people come like, wow, it's selfish. It's all like, look at me. Why does a tree produce fruit? So that people can what? Pick the fruit, eat from the fruit, and live. See the difference? You see, some of you are Christians that have been decorating your life, and the reason you're grumpy is because you've decorated your tree and no one seems to notice. And so you've tried to decorate a little more because I want people to sew And no one seems to notice. It's because decorating your tree is selfish. Producing fruit 
as selfless. And Jesus says that when you're connected to the vine, you produce fruit, and the fruit you produce is the life of Jesus produced in you. Begs the question, and then, Matt, I'm gonna fly. What's the way of change? Sounds like a sermon series, right? What's the way of change? Look back at John 15. We're gonna make a point, tell you what the rest of the series is gonna be about. John 15, verse four. He says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 10 or 11 times, Jesus says, here's how you produce fruit. Abide in me, remain in me. Everybody look here. Is the way for me to change the way Jesus is teaching is the way for me to change to try harder? In case you're not with me, let me say it. No. Some of you go out here every week, like, I'm gonna try harder, Pastor Dan. Some of you talk to me like this, I'm gonna try harder. And I'm giving you the card right now that says, stop trying harder. Jesus says the way to change is I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna do more, and I'm gonna... Mm. He says, the way to change is abide in me. Quit focusing out here. I'm gonna put some more decorations, you know, then maybe I'll be seen as a leader. He said, no, I want you to focus on this side of the branch. And then you'll produce fruit. Fruit that will last and be selfless. What's the way of change? I would write it this way. The way of change is practicing the presence of Jesus in my life. Fruit is produced when I begin to connect and abide and remain in Jesus. So how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, simply put, simply put, connecting my life to Jesus is where it begins. And 1 John, the same guy that wrote John 15, says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Everybody look here. If you guys will give me four or five minutes here, I, wanna, I want to teach you something that I want to not just 90 days go with you, go with you the rest of your life. Because Jesus says the way to change isn't to focus on the decorations out here, it's to focus on the life here. So how do I do that? Well, he says the, the place that that begins, the way I connect to the vine that gives life is I say yes to Jesus. I want to be clear about that. That's what First John's saying. I cannot connect to the vine. By the way, you all are connected to a vine. Did you know that? You are. You are. You're connected to a vine. You have attached your life to something, and whatever you've attached your life to, that's what's changing you. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. How do I attach my life to the true vine? I say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are exactly who you said you were. And I believe when you died, you died in my place for my sin. You were cut down as the true vine so that I could be connected and produce fruit. That's what he's saying. Okay? But then how in the world do I remain in a way that produces fruit? Well, the same John says this, and this is the, this is the whole rest of the series. 1 John 2, look at it. This is how we know we are living in him. 
Those who say they live in God should what? Read it out loud with me. Should what? Live. Here's how the English Standard Version says it. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. Dallas Willard says it this way, and then I, I need one illustration and we're done. He says, my central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. Everybody look here, and and then we're going to be done. Introduction. What John is saying is this. For me to practice the presence of Jesus is somehow to walk as Jesus walked. And here's where my biggest fear of being misunderstood is. Some of you are going to go out here, okay, I'm going to go do the things Jesus did. And you'll fail. And you'll fail. You're saying, help me understand that, Dan. I'd be happy to. Imagine you and I go today. Imagine we go today, Dan, and we watch these incredible runners run a half a marathon. And let's say you and I are impressed with it. Let's just say you and I like, wow, man, they're all in shape and they're incredible and that's awesome. Let's say we are so impressed by it that we're like, I want to be a runner just like them. I'm going to run, you ready, just like they run. And imagine Dan and I make that commitment. We're going to run just like they run. And imagine what we do is we show up to the next race. The next time I see Dan is the next race, a 13-mile race. And imagine we show up to that race and we try really hard to run that race. You think we'll do good? Probably not. Why? Because we showed up race day and tried to run like they ran But all the days that led up to race day, we did not live like they lived. Some of you cannot get this Jesus thing figured out. You know why? Because you're waiting for race day. I'm going to be like Jesus and have this person that really betrayed me and hurt me. And I'm going to forgive like Jesus. and, And the problem is you've never trained and lived like Jesus lived up before race day. You see how that works? See, Jesus said this, change isn't about trying harder. It's about training, walking as he walked, living as he lived. In fact, in Luke, he said it this way, the student's not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. What if, guys? What if this weird relationship we have with change is because somewhere along the way we've misunderstood what Jesus was calling us to? And what if this frustration is because we every Sunday maybe or maybe every once in a while when we show up, it's kind of like following Jesus feels like showing up to race day and we can't seem to, we can't figure out how to run. You see, here's what I know. If I want to run like those guys run on race day, I've got to adopt their lifestyle all the other days. And what if somehow producing fruit is you and I, Monday, 
through Saturday, including Sunday, begin to walk as Jesus walked in an effort to abide in him. Some of you, I can already see what you're thinking. Like, we're going to spend the next 13 weeks talking about the habits and the practices of Jesus. And some of them, some of them are normal. Like some of you are like, I, I bet you're going to talk about reading your Bible. Yep. But what if reading your Bible wasn't about decorating your tree? Can we be honest? A lot of us, we read our Bibles like, I read through the Bible again this year, 15th time. What if it wasn't about decorating our tree, but what if reading our Bible was about remaining in him? Doing what he did in an effort to walk as he walked. What if, what if we began to engage in things like Jesus engaged in in an effort to somehow abide in him so that we might produce fruit that looks something like his life? I bet you there's some things we're going to talk about that might surprise you. What if, Mike, the most spiritual thing, what if the best thing you could do is to walk out of here and begin walking as Jesus walked and begin practicing intentional silence and solitude in your life? How often do you hear that talked about? We live in a culture that is so attached, so connected, And yet Jesus, when he came and walked, guess what it says about him? It says he often got away by himself to lonely places. I don't know if when God showed up in flesh that seemed important to him, I wonder if I started to lean into that, if somehow that might bear some fruit in my life. Next week, next week, that's exactly what I wanna talk to you about. And this whole series is going to talk about what would it be like to engage in some of these things that Jesus engaged in in order that we might abide with him so that fruit might be produced. We're going to talk about meditating in the scriptures. We're going to talk about corporately worshiping. We're going to talk about intentionally silence and solitude while enjoying community. I want to talk to you about fasting and feasting, Jesus did both. And what if for the next 90 days we said, you know, I'm tired of gritting out change. I'm tired of being guilty because my tree's not decorated and I'm tired of being grumpy because I just compare with other people. And I'm gonna begin walking this journey as Jesus walked it so that fruit can be produced in my life. And so God, we're done. Introduction. Some of us in this room are tired. We're tired. We've been gritting it out for a long time. Some of us just feel guilty. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just in this moment after I close and say amen, some of you are just discouraged and some of you came in with a heavy weight. When I say amen, there's gonna be some people at the front. If you're here and you're like, I just need somebody to pray with me. I just need somebody to pray with me. There's gonna be people at the front. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love just to grab your hand and say, let me pray, carry that burden for you. But God, we all are sitting here this morning saying, we wanna change, but we don't wanna simply decorate the tree of our life. We wanna produce fruit. Fruit that is the very life of Jesus showing up in our life. 
And so for the next 90 days, I pray that you would teach us something that would last us a lifetime. I pray this in Jesus' name.